0: Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine.
1: And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments.
0: Well, here we go. Here we go. We're just... Just knocking these out,
1: and it's funny because literally this one and the previous two we taped back to back to back. So y'all don't think that we,
0: yeah, we're finally back to work. We're going to out ourselves. This is kind of an interesting uh, thing. We actually uh, pulled a bunch of papers about ketamine because uh, our boss had had asked a bunch of questions about ketamine and you know looking at different services. That is there value to them, and so started digging around on ketamine. And one of the things. That's in oh, some that's of the right. literature. Now. I did
1: find these articles, correct. you just read them.
0: yeah, I'm the guy who reads.
1: <laughs> you I should have four go back kids. to school and learn
0: how. Um, but it's really uh, interesting because there was a couple different ones about, you know, is, can ketamine be used to decrease how much people drink and uh, their cravings? and does it really make a difference? And
1: you know, I think that you know, like this this <laughs> I did read these articles. It's just been a minute. And it's probably been a lot of minutes for you too because we were going to tape this weeks ago. But yeah. I, the question is, you know, how alcohol stuff works. So, does this ketamine help with the, the glutamate process? Does it help with neuroplasticity? Like, how does it in play in with yeah. alcohol in the brain?
0: So, let's just do, go basics here for the at the start of this. And this was actually in drug and alcohol dependence. Uh, one of the articles that I reviewed. Uh, Garel at all. Uh, I'm not sure if you're on that I'm page. there. I am now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, just the, the basic stats. Remember about 30% of people use alcohol kind of in an unhealthy manner. And probably 14% of people... Is any
1: alcohol used in a healthy manner?
0: Uh, probably technically no.
1: You know, I am doing that. This will come. I actually have it in my folder and I've had it there a long time. But this is my next echo that I will do besides... This other one that yeah. probably I should do first, the xylazine. I won't one. hold but my breath. It's alcohol and exercise. Oh and yeah, because it's that whole. In it, one of the whole articles is about like red wine and how like is this actually healthy for you? And it kind of goes into that. So that's why um, I asked this. So see, I've kind of read articles.
0: <laughs> and remember about fourteen percent again. Like I said, fourteen percent current alcohol use disorder. But if you look at over a lifetime,
1: this is crazy. Yeah,
0: almost a third of people in their lifetime would qualify for an alcohol use disorder. So I think that's interesting. But this is what you were talking about a little about what, you know, how does this all work? Kind of the brain homeostasis and alcohol. And one of the interesting things. Are you going to say this? (laughs) I don't know if I can. I mean
1: methyl d aspartate receptors. Yeah. That's actually not even hard. There's just a lot of hyphens. Yeah,
0: and they, of course, they shorten it up to MMDAR, but. No. N M D A R That's what I said. I said N
1: It doesn't matter. M M. You're right, I put it wrong on there. But anyway,
0: that's one of the three types of kind of these glutaminergic uh receptors in the central nervous system, right? And and it's an inotropic. So that's a that's a receptor that's kind of kind of this group of what they call transmembrane ion channels. It's ones that open and close, right, to the What's response? What's that song? Oh, my God. It's like a this, song from, like, the 90s. Are you talking about a country so song? Something in
1: the membrane. Um, anyway. I think you've been... My son yesterday at dinner was talking about electrons and neutrons and protons and all this weird... He likes physics. Anyway, so, sorry, so ionotropic anyway, receptors, so these transmembrane. Are,
0: yeah, these are these ion channels that kind of open and close in response to binding, right, to some messenger... So that's what that whole thing is about. But changes in these receptors uh, when they're exposed to alcohol is actually implicated in kind of the prefrontal cortex alterations, neurotoxicity, withdrawal, and craving. So when these things are... It's
1: insane in the membrane. Cypress Hill. I had to Google it.
0: Oh, my God. So let's get back to the receptors. (laughs) So, again, so basically you get changes in these receptors when they're exposed to alcohol and in their and, function yes and and the results are negative okay prefrontal uh, again prefrontal cortex alterations which
1: is i just i just want to make sure i'm adding some verbiage There's, here and uh, color commentary is, to bring it down to like no i think English. this is this is
0: above your head this is, this is no, over your head
1: this is what i like to consider my job has always been as a physician in family medicine is the translator from all the people who need to use big words and acronyms. I just translate. So changes in this when exposed to alcohol, the prefrontal cortex is the adulting. So this is your decision-making. This is your higher level of thinking.
0: Which goes worse when you're... Drinking. Altering these... And patients receptors.
1: say this, like if we're going to say like an opioid use disorder patient says, when I drink, I know I am much more likely to then make the choice to hang out with XYZ or use XYZ.
0: And remember, it's that it's that kind of whole thing with the neurotoxicity, what would your grandma say? Like when you drank a beer, it killed 100 cells in your brain? No, this- That's what my grandma said. Uh, but, it's
1: the whole, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. Um Yeah. So anyway, in the pan thing.
0: And again, also when these are exposed to alcohol, these particular receptors, you get you get the cravings, right? Right. So the way they think ketamine works is ketamine is kind of this non competitive inhibitor of these M N D A R receptors. So it basically they think somehow it alters it so you don't get these negative effects. That was the theory.
1: Okay, but my question is, if it's a non competitive inhibitor. Versus a competitive, so it's not it's not going to be helpful when someone is drinking to then push alcohol off to like
0: Correct. stop the effect. And so it's
1: only to be used in a state of you know so, sobriety. sobriety,
0: and that's the way they've done it. And so I just th- it's interesting that there's been there had been recent randomized trials and meta analysis that it that had kind of shown, and we've heard this that it, there's a kind of a potent antidepressant effect to ketamine. I know patients that have went and got ketamine infusions for depression. Um, and nobody really knows, you know, how does it work? Well, some people think it kind of normalizes that cortical glutamate, which you were talking about, mm-hmm. and some people think that it also helps induce this neuroplasticity, which is kind of the big buzzword now. It's and, and what
1: that means? What so does glutamate it mean? is always. I just want to explain the glutamate GABA thing because we just talked about this with the medical students, and I love the teeter totter. So when you think glutamate, mate, it always seems like so exciting and high. That's like the the in the excitatory neurotransmitter. To GABA is like the the inhibitory, like the the cool, relaxed thing. A gabapentin can can do sleep in some patients. So when you're drinking alcohol, the glutamate goes down and the GABA goes up, but then in withdrawal from alcohol, it goes the other way. So GABA goes down, glutamate goes up, thus the alcohol withdrawal seizures and all of those things. So ketamine those things,
0: helps normalize that.
1: Exactly. And then neuroplasticity just means, you know, it's it's kind of like thinking of a kid under the age of five, where they say they're much more likely to be able to learn multiple languages because their brains are more plastic. They're more pliable. they're They're more able to like Make connections, whereas as we get older, so you're saying we're kind can... of set in our ways. It's like you can't teach an old dog new tricks.
0: Did you just say I can't learn another language? Because I think that's what you're saying.
1: I am saying <laughs> research has shown. <laughs> I am not quoting the researcher because that I don't have. So
0: I'm done learning. I'm, I'm just going to quit learning. But anyway, so... No,
1: so neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to kind of adapt and change and make new connections within itself rather than just kind of being stuck in a stagnant like...
0: And I'm like that yeah. light that's kind of going on and off. It's like
1: but, the flicker and eh, the yeah. one that makes the buzzing noise. It yeah. sounds like a fly is there. So anyway,
0: so when you use the ketamine, what, what they think happens is it it helps kind of improve the kind of the learning of new coping skills and behaviors, right? As, Which would as be a part the of this.
1: Plasticity. Correct. Learning new things.
0: Um and again, you know, the theory was I love hey,
1: how you say that like that.
0: But maybe theory. Th- the theory. <laughs> yeah. The theory is that it could be beneficial in multiple chronic health conditions, right? And one of those being depression, which there's some data that shows. Um, but but can we help people with substance use disorders, the cocaine, the opioids, the alcohol, and so on?
1: Okay. So, obviously, we've seen patients who've been on ketamine help with their depression. You know, they have to go back usually. Not a, Whatever. We can talk about that another time. So my devil's advocate, so if you're a researcher who likes researching this, maybe this would be my million-dollar money maker. but yeah. I'm not going to stop this. Pe-
0: those people are definitely listening to our podcast.
1: They should be. If you know people that do this, this is my question, and this is always my question, and this will be the question when we talk about LSD and the psychedelics as well. If using the ketamine is supposed to be helping learning new behaviors and coping skills, then... Historically, when ketamine's used in the hospital for antidepressant, you know, for as an antidepressant and chronic pain, and chronic pain they get it, but they're hanging it on the hospital to make sure, they, you know, the ketamine doesn't put them to sleep and like sedate them like they use for surgeries. But they're not sitting there doing therapy with them while they're getting their ketamine. So if it's supposed to be helping learning these new skills and behaviors, would it not be more of a positive impact if while they're getting their ketamine infusion... They're meeting with their therapist or they're working through DBT or whatever it is.
0: I think that's outside the scope of this talk.
1: It is, but (laughs) don't you think that's a... I mean, think about it. Well, you
0: think about what they do with with, uh, MDMA. Is it MDMA or uh, ecstasy? Ecstasy, yeah. Yeah. Where they're actually doing a very low dose of that and then doing uh, those types of interventions. Right. And so the question would be at what level... Because my patients that had it for chronic pain and actually worked, frankly, pretty well in uh, about half the patients, I would say, or a little less, is they didn't remember much of the day. so Which would make sense because it's a dissociative. Correct. So, but anyway, so what they did in this system, 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 systematic <laughs> review is they actually took... Systemic? They, <laughs> s- systemic. <laughs> they used eight full uh, text articles that kind of were looking at ketamine in the treatment of alcohol use disorder and tried to kind of find ones that were pretty similar. And they found eight after looking at quite a few different studies to find ones that were very similar. And in these studies, there were about 634 participants. Uh, five of the studies actually you know, looked at the impact of, of ketamine on alcohol use and uh, withdrawal. And actually, three of the studies looked at uh, how adding ketamine to conventional treatment helped.
1: So that's interesting because these don't seem related. They seem like two separate topics.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of patients. So they were just trying to see, is there any type of, any data that you could pull out of this that would give us any idea whether the addition of ketamine would help or whether ketamine on its own would help?
1: Okay, now I wish we had a button that had like the drum roll. Like, remember we were going to do the Jeopardy song, but that's copyrighted Mm. because that would be the perfect place to put it right now while we're waiting to hear intention
0: yeah, send what the me conclusion a memo.
1: was, so that's why I'm rambling right now because I'm letting in the suspense build. Yeah, is yeah,
0: it that, working? No, you ramble all the time, so I, I don't really think it's. That anything was a new. good choice though, right there. But anyway, <laughs> the conclusions are interesting because one of the things they talked about is there's so much media hype around this. Every time something comes out that's a little different, everybody, it's in the news and and literally in our area, a clinic popped up where they do this for cash, um, for these things, right? That's always a red. Yeah, it's always a red flag. I'm starting that clinic tomorrow. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, but what they if only
1: f- I could just do that and not actually care. Yeah, just that's give the me problem. the money. You want to Show do something that the mon- really McGuire. helps people.
0: So what they found was that ketamine interventions actually appear to be safe. Well, that's nice. Uh, and, and the word underlined there, possibly effective for alcohol like consumption. E
1: there almost. Yeah. So possibly, is that what, 50-50 roll over the if, dice? You know. Like what is
0: we Again, should do a possibly. study
1: we should look if seen there's a study you know like what does a few mean or a couple you know how people argue like a couple means two and a few means four possibly what percentage is possibly in scientific literature i
0: can barely hear you you're so far in the weeds um and so and it also looked at cravings and uh and but really i think withdrawal. It's important in this case so they said it possibly if people could. are
1: going to say it's it's possibly effective. Some people can read that as it's possibly effective. Woohoo! Let's do it. And some people are going to be like possibly. Eh.
0: You know, in my mind, that's it's like some of the off-label stuff we use for alcohol. Uh, and some people are responders, and some aren't. And I suspect what they found, just guessing, after looking through these, is that some people seem to get some benefit, but it's not consistent. And there's current. Yeah. So the current evidence really of benefit is limited. Um, and, and they just basically said, listen, there's going to have to be a lot of studies and recruit a lot of patients to really know whether adding it to other conventional things is helpful and whether on its own, it really makes a difference. But I think there's at least a twinkle of hope.
1: I would postulate that there were more, there was more positive effect in patients who also had the co-occurring mental health or depression, considering there's, Decenter studies. That's definitely not, not a word. A word. Mm. Studies on ketamine with depression and chronic pain. So, if you're also depressed and of chronic pain, but you also have alcohol use disorder, it would make sense that you'd have better, better more effective yeah. results.
0: And I could be wrong, but I don't know that the, the antidepressant effects are like uh, across the board. Nope. Um, it's, I think but I think
1: they're better than possibly.
0: Yeah, probably better than possibly. They've shown pro- perhaps. Yeah, the in the, that one um, meta-analysis, it basically said that it appears to have potent appears effects. to it appears to possibly
1: appears to.
0: It's like a it's like a politician wrote that. Mm-hmm. So, so so that's what all they've got.
1: I, you know, I think my take home is yes, obviously more studies, blah blah blah. If this is done in a safe, whatever manner, and you're at the point with a patient or personally or whatever that you're struggling. I mean, if it's done in a hospital under supervision, cause ketamine can be dangerous. Um,
0: yeah. And there it's, are, it's,
1: it's, it's, is it going to hurt anything? That's always the question. Does the benefit potential benefit outweigh the potential risk?
0: Yeah. And as I said, it can be done safely. Right. Uh, but right now, and again, uh, our, our, institution is looking at whether or not it's reasonable to do something like this as a last you know effort to help somebody. Adjective or something. Yeah but there has to be some data that or some way to get an idea who can be helped potentially. Right you need right. to have
1: the right patients to yeah. choose. Yeah
0: so that's it. That's on all an I aside. Got. Yes.
1: I had ketamine uh, for a surgery once for whatever reason I used ketamine when I had my tonsils on actually. Or no, my tube in my ear. Whatever. I had a you've, surgery. You've I got ketamine. So I've had a lot of surgery. This was in medical school, actually, and I came out of anesthesia with ketamine, literally with rage issues. Like I woke up. How and did they I know there was a difference? Had oh, Ron and Nancy were like running across the room. They're like, "Who is this?" It was horrible.
0: I just said, "No, that's it, Heather."
1: <laughs> no, I, seriously, <laughs> joking aside. Ketamine and I do not get along, and ironically, my sister, hmm. just having a baby soon, I'm so excited. She just had pregnancy pictures posted. Um, anyway, when she got ketamine, they gave her ketamine, even though she said my sister reacted poorly. Um, same thing happened, Ugh. like bad. Wow. Now me with propofol. Hey. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Heather Bell on True Confessions. <laughs> So, rage. With <laughs> Don't ketamine. give. But I mean, people,
1: there's street value of ketamine, you know, special K.
0: If ever you like go down in the clinic, I'll be, I'll get the paramedics. <laughs> I'll be like, give her ketamine that works for her.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I'll be like, I'd be like shackled to the gurney and like put in a padded room or something. Well, all
0: those pictures would be posted on. <laughs> uh, the addiction connection podcast.com. So yeah. There All is right.
1: Not an addiction. We got to go. Let's, let's let,
0: let's but, let battle Eggs but, play but something. Can
1: people just so you know, if you have any questions or want to give feedback or ask us to do any type of podcast, um, cause you think we are, <laughs> you think we are capable. You can email us at, um, the addiction connection podcast at gmail.
0: All right. Well, thanks everyone. And battle Eggs will take over.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Ars Longa Media.
0: Produced by Dr. Patrick Beeman and music by Battle Eggs on Spotify.
2: be they say that it's lovely traveling back to your past with a wish they would gladly go back life was simple they just grew up too fast but i wouldn't go as far as that no one It's Not-